my sins are nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul, because worthy is the Lamb. Good morning and welcome to the Faith Family here at Big Woods Bible Church. As uh, Matt Trumbull alluded to, my name is Matt McDermott and I'm filling in for Tim this morning as him and Wendy are are traveling. And uh, I got to apologize a little bit for the straggly look and the beard. My wife was encouraging me to clean myself up a little bit before I spoke. And, And jokingly, I compared myself as Tim to, to John the Baptist in that, but it's not locust, it's not camel hair and uh, locust, but it's like I come with straggly hair and eating squirrels, and to which she jokingly replied, but he was single and homeless, <laughs> which I'm not even sure if that's true. I assume we don't hear in scripture that he had a, a wife, is that right? I don't want to, um, I just say that I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I, I've got to tell you, you are here by divine appointment because, uh, the sovereign God of the universe orchestrates everything, and, and he's placed you here under my voice today to, to hear this message because it's one that each of us struggle with. It's one that each of us face. And it, and it doesn't really matter if it's your first time here or your 400th time here. New Christian, mature Christian, not a Christian. Today's message is for you, and today's message is for me, and today's message will be for the people who may watch a week from now online. Because it's universally significant. The the topic today knows no boundaries. It it spans all ages and races and and both genders. It it transcends socioeconomic status, social status, and marital status. Neither education level nor physical ability level is beyond its grasp. And most importantly, it certainly is not limited by spiritual maturity. For we'll see today that even Jesus Christ was subjected to it. What is this all-encompassing thing that transcends every demographical category? Temptation. And if you think today that you're not susceptible to it, in the words of the Apostle Paul, I tell you to take heed lest you fall. Perhaps more frightening than the fact that we're all susceptible to temptation is the fact that we've all been tempted and have failed. We've, even myself included, even just last week, Some of us have failed even this morning. Might I even suggest that some of you are are being tempted possibly at this very moment. And I know that because normally on a given Sunday I sit where you are. And and let me just talk to you a little bit about that just so you can understand that I I understand. You know, normally my, my normal Sunday is, you know, being tempted to drive too fast to get here to church. A point at which I got to tell you I often fail at. And as I'm rushing in the door because we're, we're running late, I, I rush to my seat and the first worship song has already begun. And I, I try to sit there and I try to get in the attitude of worship in my haste. But my mind continues to race back to wanting to blame my wife for us being late. And so I'm tempted in that when it's probably really my fault that I didn't help out the kids as much as I should. And I'm tempted as Aaron comes up and gives the announcements to judge why the church does this or why they do that. Why, don't, why do they plan things this way? You know what else? I'm tempted as Tim begins to speak. I'm tempted to drift off, drift off into the busyness of my own life at times. What will we eat today? Which kid needs to be where and at what time? 
Did I reply to that text message or that email? And even as we pray at the end of the service, I'm tempted to just zone out. For my mind is just weary from all the rushing. By 9.15, my mind has been pummeled in a spiritual battle. And, And the bad news is I'm headed from this place of worship to the outside world. That's where the real spiritual battles begin. As I drive home, will I lust after the woman that catches my eye on the sidewalk? Or will I fight that temptation like plucking out my eye that the Scripture calls me to do? Will whatever I eat or drink for lunch be to the glory of the Father? Or will I be a glutton satisfying my own stomach? A point at which I often fail at. At home, will I love my wife as Christ has loved the church because I'm really tempted to continue to blame her for making us late? Will I exasperate my children today? Or will I discipline them as a loving, gracious father? Even today, at this very moment, I have to ask myself, will I I preach this sermon for God's glory because I'm so tempted to make it mine? I'm just being real with you this morning. It's okay to be real in church. Temptation is real and it's not uncommon. In fact, I would go as far as to say that temptation is is constant. And by that I mean that every second of every day there's this spiritual war raging. At this very moment, spirits of darkness and spirits of light are, are waging war. That should come as no surprise to you for... The Scripture says in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke into existence everything out of nothing... And he said that it was very good. But by Genesis chapter 3, sin and death had entered into the world. And you say, well, what what changed in two chapters worth of Scripture? Somewhere in between Genesis 1.31, where God pronounces everything good, and Genesis 3.1, where we first meet the crafty serpent Satan. In that span of time, somewhere in there, Satan rebelled. And he was cast to earth. And Revelation alludes to a third of his angels, demonic angels, following him. And since that day, Satan, who is the devil, has waged an all-out war against the kingdom of God. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Know this this morning. The battle is real, the battle is here, and the battle is for your soul. And scarier still is that we cannot win the battle alone. All of us have been tempted, and all of us have failed. Since the beginning of time, man has failed. The first Adam was tempted and failed. God's chosen people, the Israelites, were tempted over and over again and failed. Be encouraged this morning, brothers and sisters. While the battle still wages on, the victory has been won. You see, where all of us in the entire human race have succumbed to temptation, there stands one who reigns victorious. Victorious over temptation, victorious over sin, victorious over death. And his name is Jesus. And he is the only hope that you and I have of winning the spiritual battle that wages for our souls. Let us pray. Just God and Heavenly Father.
we do not deserve any goodness that you have shown us. Yet seeing no good in us, you reached down from heaven and sent your son to live a perfect life in our place, Lord. Where we have failed, you have conquered. Hallelujah. God, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would open up hearts. There are so many here who are battling with temptations, perhaps for years, Lord. God, I would ask this morning that you would break those chains, that those individuals would just seek the help and guidance that they need. God, I pray that everything that we think, say, and do this morning would glorify you, Lord. That it wouldn't be about me this morning, but it would be about you. It wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words at this very last moment. God, I pray for those in Paris. Just another sign, Lord, that we live in a broken world. And the only hope that we have is you. God, let that be our life's message this morning. We love you. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Tim has asked me to continue with his series in Mark. And it's very brief, 12 and 13 are. Um, so we're going to go to Matthew a bit as well, if you want to kind of put a finger um, in Matthew chapter 4. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. While this text in Mark is very brief, in fact, it's only two verses there, there are a few important things that I think we can glean from it. First, Mark tells his readers that it was the Spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness. And we've we got to make note that, and understand something, that God never tempts us. In fact, in James 1, it says, Let no one say he's tempted, excuse me, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil, nor is he himself tempted. You see, God doesn't tempt us, but... In his sovereign will, he allows Satan to do so. We see that play out here and, and elsewhere. Think of the book of Job. Not only does God allow us to be tempted, but we also know that God, he himself, sometimes tests us. Take the nation of Israel, for example. Moses tells them in Deuteronomy 8, 2, he says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And so I think this morning we really need to notice the similarities between Israel in the wilderness and Jesus in the wilderness. You see, God led his chosen people, the Israelites, in the wilderness to wander for, for 40 years in order to test their hearts. We'll see today that God led his own son into the wilderness to wander for 40 days to begin the process of purchasing back our hearts. We were tested and found lacking. Jesus was tested and found faithful. Hebrew says that he was tested at all points, yet was without sin. Furthermore, we see here in Mark that Mark uses his favorite word, that word immediately. And you might say immediately after what? And if we recall last week's sermon about the baptism of, of Jesus, 
Immediately after the heavens are torn open and the, the Spirit of God descends, immediately after God pronounces that this is my only Son with whom I'm well pleased, right then, immediately, it says that the Spirit leads him to a nice reception with family and friends. No, that's not what your version says either. There was no reception and there was no party. What do we see here? We see the heavens torn open. We see the spirit descend and immediately Jesus is led off into the wilderness, essentially taking the first steps to destroy the work of Satan. You can almost picture Jesus just emerging from the waters of the Jordan. The spirit descends on him and and without delay, he walks straight to the river bank where where the crowds are surely gathered. and, And you just see the crowd part as Jesus walks through his destination the wilderness there would be time for celebration later there was work to be done now I think we noticed something else it says that he was filled with the spirit Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted and he had just been filled with the spirit God just announces this is my son with whom I'm well pleased he's at this spiritual high he goes from this spiritual high into this spiritual battlefield really and we need to understand that, that oftentimes the, the battle of temptation rages the hardest when, when we've come to that spiritual mountaintop in our lives. When all is well. When you're closest to God. When you're full of the Spirit. Satan will tempt you. Because he wants nothing more than to destroy the work of Christ. We must be ready. We must be on guard. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan wants to devour you. He wants to kill your ministry. That's why he tempts us, and that's why he tempts Jesus. And so now let's go to Matthew. I'll pick up a few more details if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 4. And take a closer look at these three specific temptations that Satan uses to tempt Jesus. Again, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Temptation number one. Satan says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Satan attacks Jesus with an appeal to his flesh. You see, after fasting for 40 days, Jesus has got to be famished. He's got to be weak. I mean, remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man at the same time. He was as hungry as you or I would be had we not eaten for 40 days. And it's no surprise that Satan attacks him at his weakest point. Satan knows our game plan, folks. You think about a football team that watches the other opposing team's tape before a game. They watch it to to flaunt their weaknesses. Satan has your game tape. He knows your weaknesses. Satan knew that Jesus was hungry. So he says to Jesus, feed yourself. You've been fasting for 40 days. Turn these stones into bread and eat, Jesus. 
And, and at first glance, you, you, you might say, well, well, where is the sin in that? I, I mean, it's certainly not a sin to eat. But if we look deeper, it, it, this isn't just an attack on Jesus' hunger. It's an attack on his sonship. Satan says, if you are the son of God, which really isn't a question of if, Satan knows better. It's rather, since you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. See, Satan cunningly attacks Jesus' relationship with his father. Surely your father wouldn't want you to go hungry, Jesus. Why would a good and loving father want you to starve? Use the power he gave you to to turn these stones into bread. Satisfy yourself, Jesus. God doesn't want you to suffer. You deserve it. After all, you are the Son of God with whom he's well pleased. What kind of father would send his son into the wilderness, into isolation with wild animals, Mark says, to starve to death? God hasn't provided for you, so provide for yourself, Jesus. Turn these rocks into food. I want you to, I want you to listen carefully because we, we need to see the connection of this to, to Old Testament Scripture this morning. Because it's the same test the Israelites were faced with in the wilderness in Exodus 16 when they complained to Moses and Aaron. If only God had left us in Egypt to die, at least there we sat around pots of meat and could eat all that we wanted. Yet he sends us into the de- desert to starve. The Israelites complained. Why isn't God providing for us? Was their cry. Truth is, God would provide. In fact, he provided manna from heaven and clothes that wouldn't wear out for 40 years. You see, when we understand this, we understand Jesus' counter to Satan's first temptation. For it's the same as the one he told the Israelites concerning their testing in the desert. Jesus quotes a portion of Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus trusted the word of God and desired God's will more than he desired food. Jesus knows the truth of this text, and we should too. Listen, friends. Bread, food, bread doesn't literally sustain us until tomorrow. God does. The the only reason that you or I woke up this morning and the only reason that, Lord willing, we will wake up tomorrow morning is because the God of the universe decreed it. I love the way that David Platt writes it. He says, the only reason that my heart is beating and your heart is beating right now is because the sovereign God of the universe is giving it rhythm. And were he to stop, so would we. Make no mistake, friends, your breakfast didn't give you your last breath. God did. So in your sermon notes there, I, oops, I'm sorry, I was already there. You could fill in temptation number one in the manner in which Jesus countered. Satan tried appealing to the lust of the flesh, prompting Jesus to satisfy himself. He could have turned those stones to bread in an instant. But instead, Jesus countered by trusting God at his word and waiting for him to provide. God is calling you to fight the lust of the flesh this morning the same way Romans 13 14 says but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires temptation number two back to our text in Matthew this time five through seven 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so now Satan leads Jesus to the the highest point of the temple, a point believed to be 450 feet above the the Kidron Valley below. And Satan kind of gets into the scripture business here, too. He, He quotes Psalms 91. He actually twists it. He says, come on, Jesus, since you're the son of God, throw yourself off of here. You, you know what the scripture says. Evil will not harm you. The angels will rescue you. Think of the ramifications of this. Satan is trying to tempt Jesus towards the, the pride of life. He says, jump and let everyone see this miraculous rescue that would re- occur. Because we know if he would have jumped, the Father would have rescued him. But in doing so, he would have proved, or excuse me, in doing so, he would have proven without a shadow of doubt that he was indeed the Messiah. He would have been heralded as a a hero. But, But that's not the Jesus that we see in this scripture. He doesn't come with even a hint of pride. How does he come? As a baby in a lowly manger. And it's not the fuzzy, warm nativity scene that you might sit around your house. I want you to know that. It wasn't warm and fuzzy in a dark, cold, probably cave with animals that stunk in a feeding trough. And as he grew, the book of Isaiah even says that there there was no beauty in him. There, There was really nothing that would even attract us to him. He was despised and he was rejected. He was a man of suffering and sorrows, familiar with pain. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jump, Jesus! This is your big chance! Don't be a meek and lowly Savior. No one wants that. Put on a display for everyone to see. Scripture says you'll be fine. Prove yourself. Prove yourself. Better yet, prove who your father is. I mean, if God is really in this thing, he'll catch you. Sounds pretty tempting. But Jesus had heard it before. Again, I take you back to the Old Testament with the Israelites at Massa this time. God's chosen people were at it again, this time quarreling amongst one another, quarreling to Moses that they had nothing to drink. Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die of thirst? Is God even among us, they said. I mean, if he were here, we would have water. You see, like Satan, the Israelites were testing God in their pride. They were presuming on God's providence. They they wanted God to prove himself. Moses tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6.16, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. It's the same response Jesus counters Satan with. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. For your sermon notes, temptation number two, the pride of life. The idea that he wanted Jesus to prove himself. 
Jesus counters that by saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He trusted in God's sovereign plan for his life. God would rescue the thirsty Israelites by giving them water from a rock, if you recall. And he would also rescue Jesus on the third day by raising him from the dead. You see, rescue was going to come, just not before the cross. Jesus countered the prideful scheme of Satan by trusting in God's sovereign plan, a plan that called him to humble himself and to be obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You are called to resist temptation this morning by trusting in that same sovereign plan. The temptation in your life says, come on, just one more time. You know you deserve it. Step up and jump. Meanwhile, God is saying, don't do it. Put it down. Don't look twice. Walk away. I've got something better for you. I'm infinitely better than all of that. I love Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. It says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Temptation number three, back to Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Trying to keep it moving. I I appreciate only singing two songs there. Maybe that was because you knew I was speaking. I get a little windy tremble. Nice job. Thanks. Matthew 4, 8 to 11 says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Verse third temptation, Satan takes Jesus up to a very high mountain and sets before him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And while on the outside, this this really immediately looks like an appeal to the lust of the eyes. The reality of the temptation goes much deeper than that. You see, Jesus was already destined to gain all of these kingdoms by his future work on the cross. He would defeat Satan, who is referred to as the prince of this age. But if Jesus were to accept Satan's temptation, he could essentially sidestep the cross. And gain all of the kingdoms now. Satan wants nothing more than to sidestep the cross. He'll let you have your programs here at the church. Let you have your Sunday school classes. He'll let you come and listen to messages. He'll even let you worship and sing. But when you talk about the gospel, Satan gets uneasy. Satan says, look... Look at all of this. You don't have to go to the cross to get it. Be exalted now, Jesus. There will be no false accusations this way. There will be no spitting in your face, no scourging, no crown of thorns. There will be no nails, no blood, no cross, no death. Get glory for yourself now, Jesus. Be exalted now. Just 
just one small thing I ask, Jesus, is fall down and worship me. Friends, the world is screaming the very same thing at you each and every day. Be exalted now. Be successful now. Make more money now. Do what feels good now. Maximize your pleasure now. Minimize your suffering now. What does Jesus in Scripture say to all of this? He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Friends, the cross bids you to come this morning. Come to the cross and die to yourself that you may gain Christ. Only then will you truly live. The Bible says, for if you suffer with him, you'll be glorified with him. The Israelites, who were tired of waiting on Moses to come off the mountain, fashioned an idol in the form of a calf to go before them. They worship this idol made by human hands, robbing God of the worship that he alone deserved. I have to ask you the question because I've been asking myself and wrestling with it all week as I prepare this message. As most oftentimes I am very convicted because a lot of this stuff just speaks to me. And so I ask you this morning, have you exalted yourself in such a way that you're robbing God of the worship that he deserves. And I want you to think about that. I mean, what idols have you fashioned in your own life? Don't, don't think about a golden calf, but think about what consumes your time. And think about what consumes your, your money. And think about what consumes your heart on a daily basis. Really think about that this morning. your busy schedule your idol? If so, you're robbing God of worship. Is money your idol? If so, you're robbing God of worship. Is your job your idol? Is recreation your idol? What about comfort? Is that your idol? If so, you're robbing God of worship that is His alone. Jesus chose, excuse me, Jesus chose to trust in the future glories of God as opposed to exalting himself and robbing his father of worship. I love the quote at the bottom of your sermon notes by Russell Moore. It says, Jesus refused to exchange the end time exaltation by the father for a right now exaltation of a snake. When temptation comes, will you settle for the fleeting pleasures of this world, which only satisfy for a moment? Or will you cling to the infinitely and eternally satisfying joy of knowing Christ Jesus? That's the question this morning. And so for your sermon notes, temptation number three. Jesus countered by trusting in the future glories of God. He says, away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Which is really just paraphrasing Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 and 14. As he spoke those words away from me, Satan, the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him. And after 40 long days, the temptation was over. You see, Jesus was tempted in, in all ways, yet he did not sin. The devil used the same schemes that, that he uses today. It was the same schemes that he used in the Garden of Eden. 
the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Are you fighting temptation in your life this morning? I give you two scriptures of encouragement for you in light of the text this morning. I don't have them on the PowerPoint, but if you want to write down the references, I would encourage you to do so, for they are powerful in fighting the temptation that comes. 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is the first one. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Again, that was 1 Corinthians 10.13. The second is Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. And it's the primary reason for the temptation of Christ. I've got to tell you. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Jesus has conquered all temptation. He's been there. He's fought the battles you're fighting and he's won. And because of this, he's able to sympathize with your your weaknesses. And even furthermore, it says that he won't tempt Uh, God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability to resist, and he'll even provide a way out. And so let us this morning draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. One of the ways that we draw near to the throne of grace is by participating in communion. And, And you have before you here, some bread and, and grape juice. I, I want you to understand that it's really just bread and grape juice. It's bread and the fruit of the vine. It, it's it, not like some would proclaim the real body of Christ and the real blood of Christ. It's not what this is about. Jesus died once for sins. But it's an object lesson. It, it's a picture of the price that Christ paid at Calvary. See, the, the, the bread symbolizes Jesus' body, which was broken for us on, on the cross. The, the wine symbolizes his, his blood, which was shed for the remission of sins. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And as we come to this Lord's table, I've I got to remind you that Jesus was no ordinary martyr. His death was no ordinary death. For on that cross, Jesus bore your sins and my sins, and his Father crushed him for it. If you read the account of the temptation of Christ that we read this morning, if you read Luke's account, it says at the end that Satan left him until an opportune time. And you might ask, well, when was that? And I would probably say that it was numerous times throughout Jesus' ministry but, but I, there's one that stands out in my mind where Satan probably was there just tempting him again. It was in a garden called Gethsemane. Go there where, where, where Jesus tells Peter, James, and John 
that his soul is overwhelmed with grief unto death. And he tells them to stay here and pray that you might not fall into temptation. And as Jesus walks just a few feet away, he falls on his face. And he cries out, Father, if there's another way. Oh, Father, God, if there is another way, take this cup from me. Father, if there's another way. And as he's crying out to his father in anguish, the Bible says that his sweat was like blood dropping to the ground. I can imagine Satan being there whispering in his ear. Jesus, walk away from all of it. Walk away from the cross, Jesus. God doesn't love you. He wouldn't send you to the cross. But Jesus doesn't. There on his face before his father, he chooses to humble himself once again. And he chooses to exalt the father. Not my will, but thine be done, he says. This morning, the Lord's table demands you to examine yourself. It it, it calls you to a repentance of past sins and failures, but it also offers great hope. It offers great hope in that your eternal destination doesn't depend on your righteousness. It depends on the righteousness, righteousness of another, Jesus Christ. Please let me remind you that you don't have to be a member of Big Woods to take communion with us. You're, you're part of the family. You are a brother and sister in Christ. We invite you to take. But I would also ask that if you're, you're not a believer, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life, that, that you would just let it pass by. For it would be just meaningless of you to, to take this. Might I also, though, say this, that if God has been working on your heart right here, right now, today, and he's calling you to repentance of failed temptation and sin and you can receive him right here right now today the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead then you will be saved I would invite you to see me and we can point you in the direction of an elder or someone if you have questions about that today I also invite the elders to come if you want to start passing the bread We traditionally hold the bread in the cup until everyone has has it, and then we'll partake together uh, when I pray.